Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We appreciate you making us a part of your day, and what a day it is. We're going to get to the markets here in just a moment. We're seeing some movement, to put it mildly, in the soybean trade. Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk will join us in just a moment for an update there. In segment two, we're going to talk with Mary Thomas Hart, the chief counsel at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Continue to see efforts in the Senate to repeal the SEC's proposal proposal to check uh, livestock emissions and gas emissions. Mary Thomas is going to bring us up to speed on that. And then in segment three, we're going to talk with Brent Johnson, president of the Iowa Farm Bureau Federation. Their convention is getting underway in Des Moines, Iowa this week. Been a lot of success for the Iowa Farm Bureau over the past year. We're going to talk about how that works, and we're going to end the show with a look at land values. The number of farms that have sold for more than $20,000 per acre continues to climb. We're going to see just where that market could go as the year comes to a close. But let's dive into it. Let's talk markets here. A story that developed in the overnight with beans rising, well, fairly substantially, has now really accelerated. Garrett Toy, beans up 30-ish cents here. What is going on in the markets? Well, this is really on the heels of China's further relaxation of COVID policies. If you're a Chinese resident, especially in Beijing and Shanghai, the larger cities, uh, you can go to a park, you can go to a supermarket, you can go to a theater without having a negative COVID test. And, and <clears throat> that is uh, really creating some optimism here uh, that eventually this demand will return because obviously the, the the issues that we've seen with the zero COVID policy is that you know, people aren't going out to eat, and that impacts meat demand, and that increase impacts soybean demand. So that's that's the that's the thing that's going here today. It's largely on that news. Uh, you know, we're back nearing this 1470 level in jam beans, which is an area where we continue we we have tended to struggle at. Uh, but uh, beans are back towards the upper end of the range. And then we've always, you know, all along, we've had this underlying dryness and heat in Argentina, which is expected to last uh, through the end of the week as, until their, their, their next chance of rain. So those are two things they're leading here as, long, as well as some unwind of oil share. So, Garrett, I'm wondering, given that this is a, an international story, China reopening, we're seeing the big money managers trade this type of headline event. Is this the story that's going to bring more of that managed money back into the ag commodities? Boy, that's a good question because there has been a generally uh, you know, a aversion to commodities. We had the CRB trade to their lowest levels uh, since uh, you know early October yesterday. You know, with that crude reversal, <clears throat> that's a very good question. Um, it may not be the it may not be the fund managers that come back. This may be a commercial trade where you know if if the Chinese demand we had a big flash sale this morning uh, as well. So I mean maybe this is the Chinese that are buying. You know we had 200 and, uh, 264,000 tons of beans to China reported this morning, and then another 240,000 tons uh, of beans unknown that reported uh, for 2023. So I don't know if the fund managers are going to come back. Um, I mean I think that there's you know, I think they need to see something bigger. I mean, obviously the, the products have been moving here in the soy complex because of this this drought in Argentina that that market has been reacting. 
But if that's, I don't know if it's enough to bring the fund managers back because I think that a lot of this has been liquidation into year end and profit taking so they can get their year end bonuses, whatnot. Um, we, in, in the, it just feels like the, with the rising interest rates and the inflation trade kind of coming under control. Um, I think that you're seeing some risk aversion here. Gotcha. Too many other options nowadays to put that money. Garrett, I know you talk to folks up and down the value chain here for agriculture. What have you heard lately on shipping on the Mississippi River? Is it starting to ease? It is. I mean, the, the, the water levels have uh, they've kind of stabilized here. We were well off our highs. Uh, when we had those rains uh, what, two or three weeks ago that helped the water levels, um, that really helped put things under pressure. We've stabilized here. We're kind of getting into the point where colder weather, um, I don't know if we're going to get freight much cheaper in here, but uh, you know the fact the harvest is over also helps take some of the the bloom off there. But uh, I think that we've probably we're, we're, we've probably seen as much downside in freight that we're going to see near term unless we see a, a pattern change to the water that really does help these water levels improve. But uh, we're well we're you know we're 900 percent of tariff trading on the Illinois River. Uh, that's you know a third of where we were six to eight weeks ago, uh, but that's still relatively high for this time of year, and it's probably not going to improve here near term, in my opinion. All right. Well, that December doldrums is here. Garrett, turning our focus over to the wheat market, there was a lot of concern earlier this season about the Australian wheat crop and the deluge of rain that they saw. Now that we're getting wrapped up with with harvest and seeing that crop make progress, what, what's it look like down there? No, it's it's a it's a it's a big crop. I mean, there's some quality issues to it, but it's a big crop. I mean, I think the world S and Ds are still relatively tight, um, you know. But uh, the fund managers do not. I mean, we're we're still we traded we took out the 2022 lows uh, this week in wheat, but um, no, I, the, the Australian wheat crop is is large. In fact, the bears came out here this uh, was yesterday or the day before. Uh, they're they're forecasting a record wheat crop, 36.6 million metric ton. Uh, and I think there were record yields there as well. Um, if I remember correctly, that's about two tenths of a metric ton bigger than last year. But uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's a big crop. There might be a little bit more feed wheat. There's been with the rains, there's been shipment delays uh, of that, and that's kind of the reason that you've seen China uh, buy some French wheat cargoes in the last couple of weeks because normally they would be buying it out of Australia, uh, but those cargoes are slow to move. So. Uh, it's kind of the, the the rains have created some logistics issues there, uh, and thus uh, created a tighter situation in the European wheat market, in my opinion. You know, Garrett, you mentioned the exports. We've seen a lot of attention on South American exports early on this year. How does that system look like it's keeping up? Are they able to to actually meet all of this demand they're seeing down there at their ports? Sure seems like it. Yeah, we just uh, Brazil just reported record corn exports in November. I mean, it was a well advertised story. Uh, you had uh, you had two cargoes of corn shipped to China in the last month. You had big shipments to Vietnam, which are seasonally uh, what they do. But um, yeah, they're keeping up. But I think they're starting to run out. I mean, the the, the, the conventional wisdom suggests that the, the export program is so strong, at least for corn in Brazil, that maybe the crop was underestimated. Uh, last year, their corn crop was underestimated. However, it's it's I would the counter argument to that is that you know these FOB premiums are really starting to firm up, and the U.S. FOB offers are, are weakening. Uh, you know we're only within about fifteen dollars a ton for January corn. 
um, U.S. versus Brazil, and that's down from $50 a ton 30 to 45 days ago. So we're getting competitive. I mean, we're getting close to where U.S. exports could probably, you know, pick up here at some point in the next 30 to 45 days. All right, Garrett, do you think we need a little more weakness on the dollar to see that accelerate? Boy, that would certainly help. Well, we have had a break here, a considerable break. I think we need at least, I don't know if we necessarily need a, a further break in here, at least some consolidation at these levels to kind of let the market catch up. But uh, it certainly would not hurt. All right, folks, that's the markets with Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk. Garrett, thanks so much for joining us today. Always appreciate your insights. Yep, thanks for having me. And folks, stick around. Mary Thomas Hart, Chief Counsel of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, will join AOA when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. 2022 will be remembered for chaos between war, inflation, and weather. But if there's one thing farmers know, it's that there's no such thing as normal. That's why this year's DTN Ag Summit will focus on strategies to help conquer the chaos and ways farmers can build endurance for their business. Hear from leaders at CHS, Bayer, and Corteva, as well as farmers from across the country, all from the comfort of your home or office. Join us for this completely virtual event held December 12th and 13th. Register today at DTN.com slash Ag Summit. We all know clean fields lead to strong yields. That's why ExtendFlex soybeans offer triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate to control more weed species than any other soybean system. Even tough weeds like water hemp, palmer amaranth, and mare's tail. Get the control, flexibility, and proven performance you need so you can focus on the business at hand instead of beating back weeds. Explore the Roundup Ready Extend crop system at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. <laughs> I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. 
So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about what's happening in Washington, D.C. here in this lame duck session as senators use marker bills and make that final push to get their legislation across the finish line. Well, there's also been some administrative action this past year in Washington, D.C., including from the SEC about climate reporting. And now we've got those two things coming together, senators looking to protect farmers from the SEC and that proposal still floating out there. Joining us for an update on the whole situation is Mary Thomas Hart. She's the chief counsel at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And Mary Thomas, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Before we get into the protecting the farmer from the SEC Act that has been introduced in the Senate and the House, let's talk about what we're protecting the farmer from. Mary Thomas, this SEC proposal, what would it do? Great question. So earlier this year, the Securities and Exchange Commission issued a proposed rule to mandate greenhouse gas reporting from publicly traded companies. Now, the SEC is generally considered an agency that, that's meant to regulate market manipulation and enforce rules um, related to market manipulation. So certainly not an environmental regulator, um, not the EPA, but we saw this proposed rule and, and the proposal includes mandated reporting for scope one or direct emissions, scope two, or uh, emissions from energy and electricity generation and scope three or supply chain emissions. So under the proposed rule, if a you know, farmer or rancher is selling their product into the supply chain of a publicly traded company, there is a risk that they may be you know, down the road required to provide emissions data when they sell those products. It's a huge deal and a huge reporting regime would have to be imposed to make this take place. And Mary Thomas, do the tools even exist to do what the SEC is asking, particularly in agriculture? They don't, and especially for the agricultural industry. You know, EPA, the, the agency that's actually tasked with regulating uh, air emissions, has been trying to develop accurate emissions estimation methodologies for agriculture for years, and they haven't gotten an accurate methodology yet. So it's incredibly odd that the SEC has kind of taken it upon itself to, to mandate these reporting requirements when we don't even have an agreed-upon reliable methodology that a farmer could use uh, to run that calculation. Right. So the SEC made this proposal in 2022. Earlier this year, this was announced. From the SEC's perspective, Mary Thomas, what would they like the timeline to be? How do they want to roll this thing out? Initially, the SEC aimed to have a final rule by the end of 2022. So, you know, initially we were expecting to see a final rule this month even. Um, but there were some procedural issues at the SEC and they actually lost about 700 comments. So a couple months ago, they announced that the timeline for this rulemaking would get pushed back. So we expect to see a final rule 
early to mid 2023. It's important to note that the SEC is is a little unique in this situation. You know, uh, some agencies like the SEC um, and the CFTC are, are considered independent agencies. So hopefully they're not swayed by the political preferences of any, you know, given administration. Um, but that also means that they're not subject to interagency review or White House review of their rules. Um, so it will be an expedited, a little quicker process when they're ready to finalize a rule. Um, but it seems like they have some some internal procedural hurdles to get through first. All right. Assuming they overcome those hurdles, when the SEC does issue a final rule, Mary Thomas, it's the law of the land, right? There's no more comment period allowed once we get to that point. No more comment period. Yes. Yeah, so that's when, you know, if if there is, you know, some some type of scope three requirement and if you know our membership and if you know we were able to develop co a coalition um we would consider engagement on the the litigation front right so i think one of the the best things about ncba is that we address issues from from all points of the issue whether it's on capitol hill at the administrative agencies and when we need to in the court system. So we still have tools at our disposal to, to fight that rule if it's finalized and, and creates a new burden for farmers and ranchers. Um, we certainly hope that the SEC finalizes the rule without scope three reporting requirements. Right. Or we can head the whole thing at a pass off at the pass with some congressional action. So this is what we've seen here develop over this past year. Frank Lucas introduced the Protecting the American Farmer from the SEC Act in the House. And Mary Thomas, what was the response? Was it uh, broadly favorable? Positive, yes, and I think you know it's it's exciting that we've seen some bipartisan um, concern over the SEC reporting rules, uh, specifically specific. specific uh, burden that would be created for farmers and ranchers, right? If anything, there is a lot of concern on Capitol Hill about the lack of clarity related to agricultural reporting requirements. Um, and I think that it's very clear, it's become very clear in the last nine months that the SEC in no way considered the impacts to agriculture or farmers and ranchers when they were writing this rule. Because, you know, to their credit, they've never regulated farmers and ranchers. And I don't think they want to regulate farmers and ranchers. I, I do think that they probably wrote a rule that was uh, too broad without realizing that they were writing a rule that was too broad. Um, and hopefully they're going to go back and make some adjustments before finalizing the rule. But if not, we're really happy to see these two pieces of legislation, um, the House bill and the Senate companion that were recently introduced um, that would specifically protect farmers and ranchers from having to submit those reports. Now, Mary Thomas, it is crunch time on Capitol Hill. We are getting down to the end of the year. We've still got the defense authorization. We've still got to fund this government. We got also sorts of things happening, what's the likelihood of this making it across the finish line, either independently or as part of a package? You know, there, there's always the possibility that it could get tacked on to a larger package like the NDAA or, you know, an Omni at the end of the year. Um, but I do think that more importantly, these two bills send a message for the next Congress, right? And especially since the timeline's been pushed back a little on the rule, um, I think we have some wiggle room. And if we decide, if we get to a point where there really is the need for uh, statutory protection for a statutory carve out, um, I think we'll have a few months at the beginning of the next Congress um, to really work that issue and, and see what we can make happen on Capitol Hill.
All right, we'll be watching for further headlines on this SEC issue as it moves forward. In the meanwhile, Mary Thomas, we're going to be watching on updates from WOTUS, the Waters of the U.S. Act. The Biden administration currently rewriting the rule, even as the Supreme Court is making a decision. Do you have an update for us on WOTUS broadly there in the administration? We've heard from the administration that the rule has been has completed its its White House review, it's completed its interagency review. Um, so we are expecting a final rule from the Biden administration, I'm going to say any day now. So likely before Christmas, within the next couple weeks. Um, and when that happens, obviously, we'll take the time to, to do a careful read through of the rule. But we are concerned because just based on what we saw in the proposed rule, um, we're concerned that, you know, in an attempt to find some middle ground between the 2015 rule and the navigable waters protection rule. Um, the administration eliminated some really important agricultural exemptions um, that were that were included in both prior regulatory definitions in the Obama rule and the navigable waters protection rule. Um, so we want to you know, make sure that those agricultural exemptions remain in place. Um, our other priorities are, are ensuring that isolated features are not subject to federal jurisdiction and the ephemeral features or features that only carry water after a precipitation event um, are also explicitly not regulated um, as WOTUS. So um, those are the things that we're going to be looking for. And we are certainly anxious to see the final rule. Also anxious to hear back from the Supreme Court in the Sackett case. Yes, indeed. So this proposal that's coming on WOTUS, will this be the final rule, Mary Thomas? It will be a final rule. So we got the proposal earlier this year. Um, NCBA submitted comments on it. Our state affiliates submitted comments on it. So we were really happy to see a, a strong showing. Um of concern from the agricultural community generally. Um, we hope that the Biden administration and the, the Regan EPA listen to our concerns and, and build back in some of those really important agricultural exemptions. And just as a reminder, those are for features like um, stock ponds, prior converted croplands, and farm ditches. So those are all really vital features to the 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 effective functioning of, of a farmer ranch. And so making sure that those are not subject to additional permitting requirements will be really important for farmers across the country. Absolutely. But this new WOTUS final rule will still be subject to the Supreme Court's decision when that ruling comes out in the Sackett case, correct? Absolutely. Yes. So there is certainly the potential that, you know, when we hear back from the Supreme Court, likely in the spring of 2023, we could get an opinion that is contradictory to the the Biden administration's regulatory definition. Um, there is a, I'm going to say, slim chance that those two line up and, you know, kind of follow each other. But chances are pretty good that there's going to be some some difference between the two. And we'll have to go back to court um, to figure out which of the two definitions works and, and how the EPA and Army Corps can write a definition that complies with the upcoming second opinion. All right. Well, I don't envy that work effort, Mary Thomas, but thank you for doing it. We appreciate the update. Folks, stay tuned. More AOA coming up next. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart.
2022 will be remembered for chaos between war, inflation, and weather. But if there's one thing farmers know, it's that there's no such thing as normal. That's why this year's DTN Ag Summit will focus on strategies to help conquer the chaos and ways farmers can build endurance for their business. Hear from leaders at CHS, Bayer, and Corteva, as well as farmers from across the country, all from the comfort of your home or office. Join us for this completely virtual event held December 12th and 13th. Register today at DTN.com slash Ag Summit. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we take a look at what's going on in grains and livestock, soybeans, beans, and meal, good strength there on Tuesday. The upside leaders in the market trade, while corn is up slightly, caught in the middle between beans and wheat. A little more pressure in this wheat market as we work through Tuesday's session. As we see that KC March wheat has led the way lower, plunging nearly $2 a bushel since mid-October. In the same time frame, Chicago March wheat has plummeted over $2.20 a bushel, defying both tight U.S. and world supplies of wheat. The break has finally made U.S. soft red wheat on an FOB basis more competitive with EU wheat. However, it is Ukraine and Russia which have dominated world wheat export circles in the past four to five months. We're going to continue to watch and see if we could find some support in this wheat market or not. We see cord again. Just kind of caught in the middle. Traders are going to be waiting on Friday's WASDI report. We expect little change in that December report, although we could be seeing some changes to Argentina's crop with corn, maybe lowered by one and a half million metric tons due to drought. And we could see some drops in Argentine soybean production on Friday's WASDI report as well. While Brazilian weather continues to be good, we will watch South America closely here as we work through the rest of the year and into the first part of 2023. That means having the livestock trade fairly mixed session there on the day on Tuesday, moderately lower in feeder cattle and in live cattle as well as we work through the session while the hog market. That is down just a little bit as uh, overall just kind of depressed uh, action here. Traders looking for more fundamental direction in livestock. Crude oil has been down about 50 cents to a dollar a barrel, but the stock market quietly mixed as we work through Tuesday trade action. You're listening to AOA. That's a check of the markets for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We appreciate you joining us today and talking through these issues that can impact the ag economy, be it the impact on the markets or if it's an impact on our business practices due to policy shifts in D.C. and at state capitals across the country. You know, we just talked with Mary Thomas Hart there, the chief counsel at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, about the proposed SEC climate disclosure rule. And I won't reiterate everything she talked about, but effectively, what the SEC is trying to do is to get companies to report their emissions all the way up and down their value supply chain. And of course, there has been a lot of pushback on it, some tremendous efforts by ag groups across the country, I believe pretty well all united on this issue, trying to push against this requirement. But I wanted to focus on it because the push in favor of this requirement is still picking up steam. Uh, there is a UN conference going on right now, and uh, these folks have gathered to discuss the issues that can impact climate and biodiversity loss. It's happening up in Montreal this week, and it is the UN Conference uh, Convention on Biological Diversity. And the folks who come to this convention are concerned, obviously, about the loss of natural territory, the loss of natural land. We're seeing, uh, they note, uh, forest is being lost at a rate of about six football fields per day. And of course, they want to stop those things. And what struck me was that there is a coalition. It is the coalition called the Business for Nature Coalition. 330 different global businesses have uh, together, they've got one and a half trillion dollars in combined revenues, and they have put forward a campaign, world leaders who are leading up at the meeting in, uh, in Montreal today, they want to make it mandatory for all large businesses and financial institutions to assess and disclose their impacts and dependencies on nature. Effectively, they are pushing for a stronger, more broad interpretation of that SEC climate rule, and they'd like to see it go global. I mention this because the conversations that we're seeing in D.C. about this SEC rule, folks, they are not going to go away as this new Congress takes shape in D.C. Of course, we're going to see the particular American spin on these issues be different, but there is a huge push globally, and I think all of us involved in agriculture would do well to keep up to speed with, uh, with what these proponents of biological diversity, the folks who are at this U.N. meeting, what they're pushing for because it will trickle back down and we will see these policy proposals come out of these kind of agreements and these kind of Iowa's, excuse me, ideas. Uh, we do have some other news. In fact, I think this is a little more interesting. This is a, a tailwind for agriculture on the global scene. We've heard since 2020 that rises in food prices have been one of the chief causes of inflation. We saw meat and dairy prices climb precipitously through 2021 and then of course through 2022. And when the, the world media, the non-ag media was reporting on the inflation causes, often Oftentimes, agriculture was thrown under the bus. The, the prices farmers get are driving food inflation around the world. Well, piece of positive news from a PR perspective for agriculture, as now that we've seen meat and cereal prices largely stabilize around the world, 
That's pulling inflation back down. The U, the FAO Food Price Index. This is the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. They tabulate all sorts of data reported by different governments around the world. And they noted that uh, we are finally starting to see a decrease in their food price index. And so this is tracking monthly changes in the international prices. So we're not just looking at U.S. prices. We're truly, as best the U.N. can, looking at global averages. They note that the index averaged 135.7 points during the month of November, and it was 135.9 points in the month of October. So a 0.2% percent drop there in uh, in food price index and that is good news that it's going to help pull inflation down not just domestically but also globally and one of the reasons food prices are coming down globally we got some additional data from the usda's economic research service and part of the reason is because u.s producers are doing a great job of raising notably pork and beef exports of beef and poultry as well rather are going to accelerate this year the u.s is expected to export 190 billion with a b dollars in agricultural exports now that is down slightly from the prior forecast in august it's off about three and a half billion and that is partially offset by the declines we've seen in market prices now they do note specifically that livestock poultry and dairy exports are going to be up 300 million dollars to 41.4 billion in fiscal year 2023. This is a big surge and it's being driven largely by changes in agricultural policy across the world. We spoke earlier on this program about the dairy market and we were talking about how exciting the dairy market is from an American perspective. You look around the world, you look at what happens right now in the Netherlands. It was announced earlier this week that they are set to close forcibly, if they need to, 3,000 farms in order to comply with the EU mandate. Now, this is the food-to-fork climate plan that the EU has put forth. They're looking to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. And I think it's worth noting that in the U.S., when we talk about reducing greenhouse gas emissions, the solution the ag industry has pursued here is one of production. We're going to produce our way out of greenhouse gas emission reductions. We're going to make the the per unit emissions come down by producing more units. And in that way, we're going to make sure we've got enough food for everybody. Europe has a very different approach when it comes to climate change. They say, well, these animals are producing greenhouse gases. We want fewer greenhouse gases, so we'll get rid of the animals. And that's the approach. And the Dutch government is really taking the lead on this. We saw earlier this past year, as this plan was announced, that the Dutch farming industry was not at all pleased. And we saw days, well, weeks, really, worth of protests, throwing manure on government buildings, blocking highways with their tractors. We saw some shakeups in the ag ministry in the Netherlands. Their ag minister who proposed the plan has resigned. They now have a new ag minister, but they are still planning to move ahead with this program. They are, the government is expected to purchase and then close down 3,000 farms in an effort to comply with the EU uh, requirements to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And uh, these, these Dutch farmers are not pleased. Um, this is going to be this is going to be a struggle, and it's starting in the Netherlands. I think we're going to see other countries pursue similar actions. And the reason I say this benefits American agriculture is because those Dutch dairy producers are phenomenal contribution contributors rather to the global dairy supply. They are massive exporters in that country. 
And as those farms get forced out of business, those export buyers of the Netherlands are going to have to look elsewhere. And frankly, given this same sort of mentality is taking hold in New Zealand, uh, we're seeing some requirements develop across Australia, some of the other key leading global dairy exporters, they're not going to be able to capture uh, this growth in demand. I believe it's going to come back to the United States. And I think we're not just going to see this impact the dairy industry. We're going to see it across all animal protein sectors as we look out longer term here in the ag sector. Now, we do have a few other issues that are worth noting. On this show, of course, I like to talk about biofuels. I'm a proponent being an Iowa native. I've seen what ethanol can do for rural communities, and I think we're just better off fueling our vehicles with stuff we can have right here in this country, be it domestic oil or biofuel production. Well, We've seen a lot of concern in the biofuels industry about electrical vehicles. There's been a huge policy push on DC and notably out on the West Coast about mandating or encouraging electric vehicle usage. And there has been some interesting news develop in the EV space. One of the chief reasons that electrical vehicles have grown so popular over the past couple of years is because it has, relatively speaking, become very cheap to build and install the batteries that these things need. 10 years ago, in 2010, Bloomberg reports that it cost over $1,000 per kilowatt hour to have a battery in an electric vehicle. In 2022, that dropped to $141 per kilowatt hour. So they got much more competitive over the past 10 years. But what has happened now? Electrical vehicle manufacturing has kicked off. Battery demand has exploded, not just for EVs, but for everything we do that has batteries. And that has started to bring this market up. And so for the first time in 12 years, battery prices have stalled. There has been no additional decline. These prices have been coming down since 2008. And in 2022, they are actually up 7% from a year prior. I think this is going to work to the advantage of biofuels long term. Lithium is a messy thing to mine, and I think the folks promoting the environmental benefits of EVs will catch on to how mining nickel and lithium and all these other products that they need to make EVs work. And I combine that with a rise in the cost of the battery power, and I think things are going to work well for agriculture longer term. We do have some other news here as we take a look at how grain is moving across the country. Yesterday, of course, we did get the grain export inspection data from the USDA, and uh, it was a little bit mixed. We talked about that with Garrett Toy here in segment one. It was largely bullish for the most part. One of the main crucial things we noticed was that corn export inspections did climb moderately higher week over week. We saw 20.6 million bushels inspected for export, which was right in the realm of trade expectations. Huge range expected 11.8 million to 29.5 came in a little bit on the higher side of that. That does put our cumulative total for the 2022-23 marketing year at 249.7 million bushels. Of course, that's below last year's pace, not surprising given the activity we've seen out of South America, and there's still a long time left in the marketing season. China, however, was the number one destination for U.S corn inspections this past week. They took 11 million bushels. Mexico, Haiti, Taiwan, and Hong Kong rounded out the top five. Folks, thanks for listening or tuning into this segment of AOA. We'll be back with more here when AOA returns.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Recently, we had the chance to talk with Will Stafford, CHS Washington representative, about the recent changes in the U.S. Congress and how that could impact discussions over the 2023 Farm Bill looking ahead. With the election in the rearview mirror, now a lot of people are turning their attention forward. They're looking to the end of next year, and we have the expiration of the 2018 Farm Bill. From CHS perspective, what are you looking for in this Farm Bill? And I guess, what are you expecting as this discussion starts to heat up? Big change or small changes? Yeah, I think it's going to be more on the small change side. When I worked in the Senate, I worked for a, a senator that used to use the phrase evolutionary, not revolutionary. So I, I steal that a lot. And, you know, I, I really think as far as farm policy goes, those Title I and crop insurance programs that farmers rely on, I think it's going to be more small-scale changes, tweaks to the program to make sure that they're operating better for farmers rather than something entirely new like we've seen in the past where they're going to have to learn an all-new program. Do you think we can get it across the finish line? Will Congress be engaged enough in ag issues to handle small ball stuff on a big project like the Farm Bill? 
Yeah, it's tough. That same boss that I used to work for used to say, you go to a member of Congress and bring up crop insurance and you've got about seven seconds before their eyes glaze over. But it's so important to our farmer owners that we need to be engaged. And there will be attacks from both the left and the right on programs like crop insurance that we're going to need to fight back on. But I do think at the end of the day, I think the leadership is in place within both the House and the Senate that have done this before, have been in the seat before and have gotten a bill across the finish line. I'm optimistic that we will get something done by the end of the year. That was Will Stafford, who works as the Washington representative in D.C. for CHS. Thanks for joining us here around the table. You can learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, it's that time of year. Farm bureaus across the country are getting together for their annual meetings to get that grassroots policy kicked up to the next level. And one of those states meeting, well, this week, in fact, is the Iowa Farm Bureau. Joining me now to discuss their annual meeting is Andrew Wheeler, the PR manager over there at the Iowa Farm Bureau Federation. And Andrew, how exciting is it to have convention back in town and getting kicked off today? Oh, it's great. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for uh, chatting with me here this morning. It's uh, seen a lot of familiar faces, some farmers around the state, and a lot of our uh, benefit partners and folks that come together to share the Farm Bureau mission, and uh, the convention center is really starting to buzz here this morning. That is fantastic. You know, over this past year, we've seen Iowa Farm Bureau pretty active on the policy front. Andrew, have there been some wins that your members are going to be celebrating as they gather in Des Moines? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, this past year uh, here at the Iowa uh, level, we passed a uh, biofuels access bill, uh, and uh, you saw something introduced uh, in uh, in the U.S. Senate uh, recently uh, that would make year-round E85 available. And Iowa is the number one ethanol-producing state, uh, so that's obviously welcome news for for our farmers. Uh, you know, it's a homegrown renewable fuel source. Uh, Iowa leads the nation in, in corn production and ethanol, like I mentioned, and uh, increasing those markets, growing that demand, uh, and, you know, issue of national security as well, being able to have our own fuel supply. So our, our members were thrilled that we were able to pass that here at the state level and, and expand uh, biofuel blends and uh, looked optimistic that, uh, that there could be some action at the national level as well. And, and with the news that uh, that was introduced in the Senate, uh, our, our members were very pleased to hear that and, and think that the opportunity and, and future looks very bright for biofuels. Absolutely. There is a lot of national attention. Of course, Iowa Farm Bureau, Andrew, pretty active in sending folks to D.C. I assume after this week and you get the convention underway, you'll be putting those plans in place to, to have an active presence in D.C. again ahead of this farm bill in 2023. 
Yeah, you know that that's true. And and uh, Farm Bureau, we we found that our strength is is through our unified voice, and and that's at the state level, that's at the federal level, coming together uh, as the largest general farm organization. So we represent a lot of different interests. Uh, so lot lots of folks uh, with a seat at the table there, trying to advocate for what's best for the future of agriculture. And it, you know, the Farm Bill is obviously a huge one because there's so many different provisions in there that that impact so many different sectors of of the ag economy and. Uh, we've got uh, a gentleman, uh, Danny Munch, uh, from the American Farm Bureau, is joining us here at our annual meeting tomorrow. Uh, he's going to provide a, a national policy update. And while I haven't seen uh, details of what he'll be sharing, I know a little bit of insight into the Farm Bill would, would be a big part of that. Uh, and it, it, from what I have heard, it sounds like this could be the first trillion-dollar uh, farm bill. So we're, we're talking a lot of money for a lot of provisions that, uh, that are pretty impactful to, uh, to agriculture. So we want to make sure we've got a seat at the table and, and uh, help, help lawmakers uh, get this right. Absolutely. And having that farmer voice is so crucial. Of course, that's what Farm Bureau brings. You elevate that voice of the farmer out there. And Andrew, I mean, as you think about what is happening at convention, is there anything you're particularly excited about to get underway today or tomorrow? Well, you know, lots of good stuff. Uh, we've got uh, one thing that's, that's uh, really neat to me is these, these young farmers that are coming out with these niche uh, marketing ideas. You know, it's, it's challenging just to break into agriculture. You've got a lot of expenses and costs when it comes to uh, acquiring capital. Uh, the land cost is, is astronomical. So uh, we're seeing these young folks thinking outside of the box and, and looking for ways. How can I break into agriculture to set myself apart? Uh, we've got a session uh, this morning here uh, on building your farm brand. Uh, so looking at, you know, how can you market your individual farm to stand out from the pack if you're doing something a little bit differently? Uh, you, you know, how can you brand yourself? Because consumers today, we, we know this, they want to know where their food comes from. They want to know uh, about the families that uh, raise it and produce it. So I think there's, there's tons of opportunities there. Um, and we've got a great story to tell uh, here in Iowa when it comes to conservation as well. Uh, and we have uh, Mark Lick from Iowa State University joining us talking about uh, cropping systems for soil health looking at uh, what can you do for covers uh, during the non-growing season, uh, you know, after your primary crop is out, uh, looking at this new technology and innovation to, to try to capitalize on uh, big strides we've made in water quality. So, you know, when it comes from marketing to policy updates to conservation, uh, lots of stuff going on here at the, at the annual meeting. So I'm certainly excited for the next couple of days. Absolutely. So much happening. Andrew, if we've got listeners, they're Iowans or they're elsewhere, and they want to become a member of their Farm Bureau, how can they get in touch with the Iowa Farm Bureau? Yeah, you can. Uh, if you know uh, your, your county Farm Bureau, uh, you can certainly reach out to them to join at the county level. Otherwise, iowafarmbureau.com, you're able to, to read up on what we've been involved in, what we're doing, uh, the benefits of being a member. And then, of course, there's the uh, link on how you're able to join. Fantastic, folks. We're talking with Andrew Wheeler, PR manager at the Iowa Farm Bureau. And Andrew, we'll let you go. I know you've got a busy couple of days there at the annual meeting for the Iowa Farm Bureau Federation. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Take care. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Before we go real quickly, we did have a piece of news come out this morning. I wanted to be sure we mentioned the Institute for Supply Management. This is a group and they track business activity across the country and they have been managing or excuse me, tracking supply chain disruptions. And what they found is their gauge of services rose to 56.5 up from 54.4 in October. And that says that we are seeing a surge in business activity 
and that lines up pretty smoothly with their factory output gauge, which tracks what's coming out of factories that then move into the supply chain. And all of these work together to show that U.S. producers are feeling the pinch from the global economic shutdown, but production is continuing. Couple that with the wage data we saw earlier this week, and it looks like our friend Dwayne Bussey's projection that perhaps the U.S. economy isn't as bad as we thought might be bearing out. Will remain to be seen, of course, here as this plays out long-term. Inflation is still a major concern, and we'll watch all of these factors as they continue to move the ag markets. Taking a look at the grain prices here before we go for the day, we're seeing that strength in soybeans continue up 16 to 25 cents here across the classes. We'll tune in tomorrow and see just what's going on with those markets. Folks, thanks for listening to AOA. We'll see you tomorrow for more great content. Thanks. Have a great day. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 2022 will be remembered for chaos between war, inflation, and weather. But if there's one thing farmers know, it's that there's no such thing as normal. That's why this year's DTN Ag Summit will focus on strategies to help conquer the chaos and ways farmers can build endurance for their business. Hear from leaders at CHS, Bayer, and Corteva, as well as farmers from across the country, all from the comfort of your home or office. Join us for this completely virtual event held December 12th and 13th. Register today at DTN.com slash Ag Summit. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.